Alrighty. Good evening. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer before we go ahead and get started. Uh, Dear God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the uh, privilege of coming before you tonight, Lord, and uh, opening up your word. Um, Gather it here together, Lord. I pray that you would uh, bless uh, this meeting, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would speak through me and that anything that is uh, incorrect, Lord, that you would allow it to uh, be forgotten, Lord. I pray that uh, all the honor and the praise and the glory would be given to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Tonight, the topic of what I'd like to share with you is modern-day Daniels reaching a lost world. Um, Pretty much, basically, modern-day evangelism. Uh, First slide here. Um, I took, basically, all the principles, um, all the things that I'd like to share with you tonight, I took from Daniel chapter 1. Um, we're not really going to uh, be reading through the first, uh, first chapter of Daniel for the sake of time. Um, but while we ponder these, uh, these issues and these things, I want us to ask ourselves these three questions. Um, how does this apply to Christians today? Because I feel as though sometimes, uh, I've heard it from believers, we, when we're going through the Old Testament, when we're reading from the Old Testament, it's almost like you know, we feel like we should be going into the New Testament because it's new. And you know, it's... it's a little bit more of the principles that we can live by today, but I, I disagree with that because the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. And I think the Old Testament, I believe the Old Testament is extremely important for understanding the New Testament because all the writers of the New Testament and all the apostles wrote based off of the Old Testament and the, the, uh, the prophecies that were given about Christ from the Old Testament. So... Um, I want us to ask ask ourselves, how does this apply to Christians today? What does the Lord have to say about these things? How does the Lord feel about these things? The third question I want us to ask ourselves is this. What will my response personally be to what the Lord has to say about these things? So, very interesting slide I've got here. Um, Relativism, I've got it titled, Relativism, the Death of Reason Within Society. Um, And I've got a little quote there I kind of came up with. We can get along as long as your worldview matches mine. I feel as though this is the message being portrayed in today's society is that we can all get along if we all agree. But the second your views contradict mine, we can't get along. The second you tell me I'm doing something wrong, we're not going to get along. That's pretty much the crux of relativism. Um, we see, as we see here in this slide, it's very prominent within the gay community, the homosexual community. Um, it's, it's a very touchy issue in today's culture, in today's society. And we see, based off of the Supreme Court's new ruling, definition of marriage is being changed. It has been changed. Um, but we, we know that that is simply the earthly, uh, earthly man, man being uh, a finite being attempting to take authority over something that God has given as a mandate. We know that the definition of marriage is between a man and a woman. So relativism. Um, Basically the thought, I guess I haven't really defined what relativism is. Um, Have you ever heard this? If you've ever talked with someone, um, you know, you shouldn't tell me what to believe. You shouldn't tell me what to do. You shouldn't tell me what to think. You shouldn't tell me how I should conduct myself. Well, by telling someone you shouldn't tell me what I should be doing, you're breaking the golden rule of relativism. So I believe personally that relativism is a self de- 
uh, excuse me, self-defeating um, term or self-defeating um, you know thought process or mind mindset, if you will. Third slide that we've got here: uh, culture's definitions of marriage. Um, you know, we, we've already pretty much touched on the the definition of marriage or, or the topic of marriage. Uh, values, you know, again, going based off of relativism. We need to be relative of others' views and values. And basically what I'm talking about is this is what society is telling us as Christians. Um, morals. Culture defines morals. You know, it's, it's the, the complete... Um, everybody who agrees is basically what a moral principle is. Well, that's not right. And I'll tell you why that's not right. I'll give you an example. What about Hitler and, and Germany back in, you know, during World War II? That culture as a whole agreed that that was a morally correct thing that was supposed to go on. It was atrocity. It was a complete atrocity. So that is where we see where relativism and, and morals as culture defining morals is a failure. No man defines morals. No human defines morals. Morals, morality, the laws of morality come from God and God alone. And no man has any right whatsoever to define what those morals are. Human worth, another very you know, big problem that we have today, another big issue that's going on, abortion. I have a, a definition there. The value of human life is relative to convenience. It's heartbreaking the amount of innocent children that are killed simply for convenience out of the individual. And I realize that there are times where, you know, there are different situations and, and different, you know, issues, but I don't believe that any of those uh, situations constitute the taking of a human life. Um, before we get into that, how does all this apply with Daniel? Well, uh, in Daniel 1, verse 1, we see that, uh, you know, Israel is besieged, Jerusalem is, is besieged, and everything Israel knew as a culture was about to change. And adapts to Nebuchadnezzar's vision. And uh, what, I, what I thought about was our culture is constantly changing and adapting and accepting new cultural norms, if you will. Society is trying to force its values on Christians. In verse 2, we see that Israel was indeed delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and that they are going to be confronted by a pagan society. And today, we are constantly confronted by sin and confronted with daily choices. We need only to walk out into this world to see how depraved the mind of man is and how sinful man is. In verse 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar chose for himself the youth of the nation he had just conquered. And I want to ask a question. Why? Why is it that Nebuchadnezzar chose the youth of the society he had just conquered? Maybe I'll make that an open question. Does anybody want to take a stab at why Nebuchadnezzar chose the youth of the culture you just conquered. If not, that's okay. Personally, I believe that Nebuchadnezzar chose the youth because they're moldable. They're shapeable. They're able to be influenced. They're the next generation within our culture. They are the future of our culture. They are the future of who we are. Now I have this message. Or not message, but this slide. Youth, this is to you. This is a message to you, the young minds of our assembly. You have the greatest potential to ignite change within your surroundings. 
You are an empty vessel ready to be filled with whatever it is you choose. You are in full control to fill your life with either God-honoring substance or substance that is abominable to God. You have a choice to make. Which will you choose? Parents. Now, I know this is not really my place to speak because I don't really have any experience in this realm. But I feel as though this is something the Lord laid on my heart. Proverbs refers to children as being arrows. Arrows take time to craft and build, and each one is unique. They are meant to be sharpened for battle and shot out when the time is right. Make sure your arrows are ready to be released and are capable of hitting their mark with deadly precision. Also, your children have insurmountable potential to ignite change and influence their society. Parenthood is an exhausting privilege, but a precious opportunity to further God's kingdom by raising, shaping, and molding children for the Lord. Society is eagerly waiting to mold and shape your children with its agenda. We need only to watch the news or read the newspaper to see exactly how far from God's will that agenda really is. Are you willing to give in or will you equip your children? So, Daniel 1, verse 4, again, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar chose for himself the finest of the Israelite society, choosing the youth to impose his agenda and, and you know, get that early influence in them so that when they grew up and when his, his time had passed for him to run his kingdom, his agenda, what he wanted to push was still ingrained in the hearts and minds of those youth. But we know that Daniel... Did not, uh, he did not conform. Um, Daniel 1.5 The integration into the Babylonian Empire took time. It wasn't an immediate process. It wasn't an immediate transition. It was something that took time. It was something that was very calculated uh, and very precise. It was a dynamic and meticulous process, gradually transforming or attempting to transform the children into modern day thinkers of that era. In verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah step into the picture. And we see the response, or we will see the response to these new customs. But more specifically, Daniel's response to his new surroundings. Um, you know, in, in verse 7, we see their names are changed. Um, as another step in, with the integration of them into that society. You know, almost, so to speak, having them forget their Jewish names, that, that Israeli culture, that... That, uh, that, that culture, where they came from, who they were, their identity, having them forget that and be integrated into Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And, and a thought I had about that was, um, you know, may we never forget who we are and who we belong to. Um, we belong to the Lord and, and He has purchased us with, with His own blood um, and, and let us remember that we are His um, and, and we need to conduct ourselves accordingly. In verse 8, we see something very, uh, you know, very interesting that Daniel does. He purposes specifically within his heart that he's not going to defile himself with the king's food. He made a conscious decision not to defile himself. He took a stance. He made a choice. Um, and I believe as, as the youth today, we need to take a stand. We need to make a choice, take a stand against our culture um, you know, something that I've, I've been thinking about and have been really convicted about lately is uh, what's the difference today between our youth and the youth of the world? We dress like the world. We speak like the world. We listen to what the world listens to. 
we're interested in the things that the world is interested in, pop culture. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I've gotten caught up into, and I have to really look at my life and say, what's the difference? What's the outward difference between me and the world? You know, if, if a Christian, if, if not, uh, sorry, excuse me, a non-Christian comes up to me and says, you know, there's really no difference between the way you act and the way I act. How heartbreaking is that? That I've been called out of that. That I've been called, purchased with the blood of Christ, and I'm not conducting myself in a way that causes others to think and say, wait, there's something different about that kid. There's something different about him. I want that. Instead, am I conducting myself in a way that there's no difference between me and Isaiah? There's no difference. I can, I can keep doing whatever I want. Because you know what? Yeah, he, you know, he's, he's got that whole religious thing going on. And, but there's really no difference between Isaiah and me. You know? I really need to make sure that me personally, and, and I submit this to you, but I'm using myself as, you know, as uh, the person I'd like to, to you know, really use as an example. Is my life different? Is, is my testimony different from the world? Am I living to the honor and glory of Christ? Am I taking a stance? Am I purposing within my heart to honor the Lord, to honor Christ, to really be an image, a mirror of Christ and, and reflect that on the world? It's a decision we all have to make as believers. In verse 9, we see that as a result of Daniel purposing within his heart, the Lord blesses him. The Lord blesses him and he blesses the other three young men that, that took a stance, but... Uh, you know, I, I thought that I, I was, you know, I, I was thinking that the thought I, I received from this was that there is a reward for those who obey the Lord's commands. There's a, a benefit. There's a reward for those who obey the Lord and follow his statutes. Um, in Daniel 10, you see that Daniel doesn't stir trouble. He's not a troublemaker. He doesn't create a scene, but rather creates a testimony. And his testimony is noticed by his earthly authority but at the same time is utilized by his heavenly authority. Um, in verses 11 through 16, Daniel submits to the authority the Lord has placed over him. This is a very interesting dynamic I kind of want to bring out, that Daniel submits to the earthly authority that the Lord had placed over him, but at the same time as him submitting to that earthly authority, he obeys his heavenly authority. So he doesn't get caught up with just obeying and you know, going along with all the things that Nebuchadnezzar has him being trained with and the other young men being trained with. He submits to that earthly authority, but also obeys his heavenly authority. Um, I think that's a principle we can definitely utilize today. Um, in verse 17, Daniel, again, he purposed in his heart to obey the Lord and was blessed with knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And also he was given all understanding in all visions and dreams. Um, verses 18 and 19. Did Hananiah, Daniel, Mishael, and Azariah, did they conform to their society? Did they cave in? Did they give in? No. No, they took a stance. You know what? We don't read of other young men in the Israelite society. There might have been some. There might have been some, but we only read of these four. They took a stance against everything that was going on around them. It wasn't something that was easy. It wasn't something that was popular. It wasn't the popular thing to do. But you know what? They took a stance for what... They believed. They took a stance to what they knew was true. And that was what the Lord had, had laid on their hearts and, and given them as far as commands and statutes were. All right, let's go ahead and continue with these slides. 
how do we engage our surroundings? Um, you know, something that I, I was thinking about was living out a testimony. I was really convicted with this. You know, we can go ahead and, and we see a little bit of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. You know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. Living out a testimony. I kind of took that and also thought about living out a testimony. Um, you know, if we go around and we preach a certain testimony or we say, you know, we can say whatever it is that we want. But if we don't live out that testimony, if we don't take it and make it our own and live out that testimony, how convincing is that? We're hypocrite. We're hypocrites. We need to live out the testimony that we preach. And I feel as though personally, you might disagree, this is my personal belief, I believe that living out a testimony, showing the love of Christ, is more real, is more tangible, something that someone can hang on to than any message that we can preach to someone. If someone can look at our life or be personally affected in their life by what they see as, as Christ living in us, that's something real that they can hold on to. That's a living, breathing testimony that they can see. So first, we need to live out our testimony. Second, we need to understand our roles within this process of evangelism. We're called to preach the gospel. You know, I almost feel as though sometimes when I'm you know, engaged in conversation with someone, I feel like, you know, I gotta get them to have a confession now. I gotta like, you know, I, I gotta, you know, see how far I can go ahead and, and really, you know, see if we can, you know, come to terms and they'll, you know, be saved today. Well, you know what? That's not what I was called to do. I was called to preach the gospel in a clear, concise manner, an understandable gospel, and and you know, make sure that I am ready and prepared to give an answer. That's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to save anybody. Um, I need to, and this is my personal belief, is that I need to be able to preach the gospel and engage in conversation and debate when the time is, is ready to debate. But also, you know, step back and realize when my, you know, when my, uh, need to step back and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in the life of that individual. Need to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, water that seed that's been planted. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in the, in the life of that person. And you know what? If it just so happens that that person comes to you know the the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in you know with me, then great. But that's not that's not the goal. That's not my personal goal. My goal is to share the gospel with that individual in a clear manner that they understand it. And you know what? That's all I can do. I can't save that individual. I'm a sinner saved by grace myself. Um, there was another thing that I just thought of that slipped my mind. That's okay. We're going to continue. Third. Uh, we need to make a conscious decision to engage rather than sit by with an attitude of complacency. Um, making a decision to go out and engage our culture. It doesn't have to be on the front lines of you know, going out and debating Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawking and, and you know, going out and speaking with these individuals, but I feel as though each of us can, in a way, preach the gospel. We all are called to preach the gospel. Um, and so, you know, I believe personally that if we follow, you know, if, if I were to follow these three principles by living out a testimony that is real, that someone can you know, look at and say, wow, I see Christ in that individual. Wow, you know, that's, that's something different. Then you know, it's, it's something that someone can hold on to and, and something that's tangible and real to that individual rather than just a, you know, something that you're telling them. Um, second, understanding our roles and, and uh, you know, realizing you know, what we're called to do. And third, deciding to engage our society. I feel as though Daniel really took these principles and um, 
was able to go and, and, and uh, live out these principles in, in, you know, in, in, in a society that was telling him you know, to do different things, in a society that was challenging his faith, challenging what he knew was the right thing to do. Um, it's not something that's easy. It's not something that is, you know, um, you know, simple. Um, it's it's a challenge, and it's something that you know I feel as though we are all called to do. Um, so, uh, with that, uh, let's go ahead and, and close uh, with a word of prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for um, your word and, and what it. Uh, what it has allowed us to do, Lord, to um, understand what it is that you've called us to, to understand that uh, we are here for a purpose, Lord, um, to honor you and glorify you and serve you while we are here on this earth. I pray that you'd uh, challenge our hearts, Lord, to go out and reach the world around us, Lord. The world is lost, the world is confused, Lord, and the world is defiant against what you have to say as your absolute truth, Lord. I pray that you would give us the courage Give us the words to speak, Lord, that we will have uh, boldness to go out and preach the gospel in a clear manner that will honor and glorify you, Lord, and that we would uh, give you all the honor, all the glory, and the praise, Lord. Pray that there's, uh, if there was anything that was said, that I said, Lord, that was uh, incorrect, Lord, I pray that you would uh, forgive me, and I pray that you would uh, allow it to be forgotten, Lord. Um, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. song thank you Isaiah it's very uh, informational and very applicable uh, if we can turn to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and before we start let's just have a, another word of prayer Father I just thank you for um, for this night Lord Lord I just thank you for using uh a sinner like me, Lord, a, f- a flawed man, to bring uh, your message, Father. I pray, Lord, that I would speak as the oracles of God and not my own words. Lord, I pray that Christ would increase and I would decrease and that we all just um, take something away from this, Lord, and that uh, we would be drawn closer to the Savior. And I would just give him all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was asked to speak... Um, it's very difficult for me because, you know, Malcolm said, whatever you think you want, what you want to say, whatever on your heart. And I was just thinking, there's so many things I could say. You know, there's the Bible is just huge. <laughs> of uh, which route should I take? Where should I go? I'm just learning so much. Um, I'm reading. Um, I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm uh, just hearing messages a lot. And um, what I what I came across is that uh, I just want to talk about. Um, Christian maturity. I want to talk about what you need to grow in your Christian faith. And I want to talk about three things. I just want to talk about um, just who God is, a little bit of his character, and what he's done for you. And I want to talk about just some um, sanctification. And also I want to talk about prayer. There's, I think those, those three are important. I mean, there's a lot of things you need to grow in Christian maturity, but I just want to focus on, on these three. And... Um, an example I, I can think of is that, 
you know, we have a lot of children in this in this church, right? Um, they're they're everywhere. You know, they're they're screaming, they're crying, they're uh, they're laughing, they're playing, and uh, you know, sometimes we have uh, little newborn babies, and and uh, you know, when they say the first word, or like dad, dad, or like mama, they're like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, I'm so proud of you. you said your first word. But uh, just think about later on down the road, maybe like 10, 15, 20 years, they're still saying dada or mama, and they're still like running around in diapers. You would think like, what's going on? What's wrong with that child or that, that adult? <laughs> and um, so you would think something's wrong. And so I think, you know, sometimes as Christians, we could be like that. You know, we could just stay babies and never actually grow Never actually matured, you know. Instead of drinking milk, let's, let's eat some meat. All right, let's get uh, let's get to the deep things of God, not just the elementary, basic stuff. So, first point I just want to make is that um, you need to know who God is and what He's done for you. And I've been reading this book. Uh, it just goes through uh, God's character, just each one in in detail. And um, uh, I want to talk about just grace and and mercy. First and foremost, I know there's a lot of attributes of God that, you know, especially his love. We talked about his love this morning. It was it was awesome. I really enjoyed the um, Lord's Supper this morning, just basking in the Savior's love. But, you know, I'm, you know, because we're all Christians, as, a, as I uh, presume most of you are here, um, you know, you made that profession of faith. You know that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins. He paid the ultimate price for sin. You know, our debt is paid in full. Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf. You know, he shows grace, he shows mercy. And, you know, I think the gospel should be really um, fresh in our minds, it should be fresh in our hearts. And that um, I feel like as, as a believer, as a Christian, you should have that fresh in your mind all the time, that the gospel should never be exhausting. It should never, um, you should never get tired of it. You should always just preach it to yourself every day and, and every, every moment. Just uh, grow in that relationship with him. But I feel that sometimes as Christians, they never get past that point of conversion. They just um, stay the same. You know, they, they have a profession of salvation, but they don't really know the gospel too well. They don't really, know, they don't really grow in their relationship with Christ. They don't really know his character. And I've been learning a lot about just God's grace and God's mercy. And there's one attribute about God that uh, that just blows my mind. It's um, you know God's infinitude, that God is eternal, that He goes on forever and ever. It doesn't He doesn't end? There's no begin. He had no beginning. There's no middle. There's no end. And that's just mind-boggling to me because I just can't understand that. But logically, if you put God's infinitude to to all of His attributes. You would say that God is infinitely gracious. He's infinitely merciful. He's infinitely loving. And that's, that's, that's encouraging to me because no matter how I feel, God's mercy stays the same. You know, like this uh, behind the screen there says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And then God's mercy, He's actively compassionate. That his mercy endures forever. <clears throat> My favorite uh, verses is in Micah chapter 7. It says, um, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. 
that God loves to show mercy. I know I've, I've spoken this before, probably at the youth group, um, just about God's character, and but I feel like it's it, um, it's worth repeating <laughs> because you can never get tired about you ne- never get tired talking about who God is and His character. And no matter how we feel, like I said before, God's mercy doesn't change. That it's not a temporary mood of His eternity. Um, you know, we ha- we we shouldn't be afraid that one day it's going to end. That His mercy endures forever. It's forever and ever. It goes on and on and on. And that uh, A.W. A. Tozer, he said that he said this. He said, uh, "Nothing that has occurred and will occur can change the tender mercies of God. Forever His mercy stands, boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and passion. That it just goes on forever and ever. We don't have to be afraid it's going to end. It doesn't change. And that it is His goodness confronting human suffering and guilt. And that uh, we shouldn't believe that." That, you know, God showed, mer- he showed mercy just in the days of Noah or just in the days of Abraham or in the days of David. No, but he's showing mercy now where we are now and that he, his mercy is available to us in our present situation right where we're at now today. And I feel like sometimes Christians don't lay hold of that. Um, it's like it's like standing outside a banquet hall. There's a buffet inside and you're right outside the door and you're starving. It's like, just go in. <laughs> You're starving. Go get it. You know, God, God's laying this out for you. He's, he's giving you his mercy. He's saying, take hold of this. Come into the buffet. Come into the banqueting hall and, and, and partake of it. Sit down with me. And let, let's partake together. Partake of the feast. Don't, don't, be, don't be afraid. God wants to have this fellowship with you. He wants to show who he is. So God's, God's mercy. I feel like that's important. And while you're in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, the first verse says here, it says, uh, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I, I've heard uh, a message before uh, when I went to Rise Up Conference. I forgot the speaker's name, but he said this. He said, he said, don't be strong in anything else but God's grace. And I thought, wow, you know, God's grace is so important. And there's nothing else you need to be, need to be strong in. I mean, Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he makes it a point to tell him that. He didn't tell him, be strong in God's love. I mean, yeah, God's love is important, right? He didn't say, be strong in God's goodness. No, he said, be strong in God's grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that, um, you know, grace and mercy are similar, but, but they're not identical. You know, grace is God giving gifts to the undeserving out of his good pleasure, he has no reason to do it. There's no reason why God gives to mankind is simply just by grace. And I, I've heard this uh, um, mnemonic, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense, or God rescuing a condemned enemy. You can kind of remember it that way. Um, it's, it's him declaring you right and gives you divine favor where you have never been right before, or you never had divine favor before either. He makes you debtless when you had the biggest debt anyone could ever have, and not even the means to pay for it. I I, I appreciate what what Andrew said um, last week about you don't even have the currency to pay this debt. And my my mind was blown away. I was like, wow, even if if I could pay the debt, if I had the money to, I could pay, but no, you don't even have the currency. You don't have the money. Like, whoa. That's how much we needed it. 
That's how much we need it. We need God's mercy. We need his grace. We need the blood of Christ. Because it's not, it's not, um, not something we could do on, in our, on, our, on ourselves. It's clearly by grace. By grace you're saved through faith. Not of works, it's the gift of God. And that with, in God's grace, he pities the wretched. He spares the guilty. He makes, he makes friends when we're enemies. He changes our prison clothes and puts on royal robes. And he invites us into his banqueting table and is barren over us as love. That's the grace of God. And I feel like sometimes Christians don't know that. Sometimes, sometimes I, I forget that. And I need to constantly remind myself, this is, this is who God is. This doesn't change. This is not going to change. No matter how I feel, God stays the same. Even if, even if I'm not in the mood for it, God's, God's love and his grace is, is the same towards me. And in John chapter 1, it says um, about Jesus Christ, he says, you know, for the law from Moses, the law came from Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, that he was full of grace and that God can't stop being who he is. I feel like that's that's awesome thought to think that God cannot deny himself in the, in the next uh, in verse um, chapter in verse 13 it says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Excuse me. No matter what the character tr- uh, attribute, he can't deny himself. He can't stop being who he is. And that grace is so important. Second Peter chapter three, eight, uh, verse eighteen says, "But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." We need to keep on growing, keep on growing. We need to move on to deeper things. Let's study His Word. Let's let's get to know God. So, um, first thing you need to know is just uh, who God is and what He's done for you, His His character, and uh, second thing need to have is, is sanctification. Sanctification. And what is sanctification? It's a continual process of becoming more holy, more, more like God. First uh, Peter says, be holy for I'm holy. It's, it's um, obeying God's word. Um, and ever since the, the, the beginning of time, man was put in the garden. You know, he was, he was made to, to work and to obey God. But you know, not not a lot of time goes by, and and man disobeys God. He doesn't do what God says, and that's that's just and you know from that point on, it's just disaster, just disaster. But there's so much grace. God God shows grace to that. He shows mercy. But we need to continually be uh, be working. And uh, if you go on to verse. 15 in Second Timothy right there, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That we have to work hard. You know, the Christian life is, is it takes work, it takes discipline. It's not, it's not easy, it's not natural to do what's right, because in, inside me I have my sin that's, uh, that's dwelling within me. And it's just a war going on. It's just a constant battle, constant war. But God is telling you, be a worker, be diligent, like be in God's word, study, know what it says. 
you know, um, I feel like a lot of Christians, they don't know, they don't know the word of God. They don't actually read it. <clears throat> and I think that's kind of sad. Um, because God's, God's giving you his, his love letter, his word, and, and we don't read it. So, we need to continually be sanctified. We need to confess and forsake sin. And Psalm 119, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your precious word. And uh, you need to continually be, be cleansing yourself, confessing and forsaking sin. You know, I, I, I live with a, with a roommate in, in my apartment. I've been there for about, about a year now. Uh, I moved out of my mom's house. And, uh, you know, I'm so used to, <clears throat> I have a lot of, you know, before I used to live with a lot, a lot of women. You know, my mom, my grandma, my sisters. And, and uh, this house is spotless, like spotless. You go in there, you're like, whoa, this place is clean, you know. And uh, so, then I, you know, when I move out, I'm just used to, like, a nice a nice house. And, and when I come home, sometimes my roommate just leaves, like, plates everywhere or food on the table. I'm just like. Come on, man. <laughs> Clean up after yourself <laughs> or do something. But, uh, but you know, I, I could be like that, too. I could leave stuff around. And, and, um, but, but one thing I just want to bring out is that, you know, when I, when, I'm, when, I, when I go to clean the tiles, I think, you know, tiles aren't that, that dirty. You know, they look pretty clean. But when you, when you whip out a, a, a mop or a, a broom, you can see how dirty it really is. I'm like, wow, this is pretty dirty tiles. Like, I need to clean this more often. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good example of, of, of our lives. You know, we could think we're, we're clean on the outside. We could look all good. And, you know, I go to church, but inside we're dirty. We're so dirty, and we don't, we don't clean ourselves. We just leave it a mess. But, no, we need to go, go to the Word of God for cleansing. We have the washing of the water of the Word. And let... Like I said before, you know, not only the Christian life is hard, it's a war. It's a war. And, and you know, the Apostle Paul, he talks about a lot of metaphors like, like run, fight, kill, endure. All these physical metaphors because, you know, it's not a physical battle we're fighting, but inside it, it's, it's a war against our soul. And that's why in the Old Testament, I think, um, you know, it talks so much about wars and just fights and battles. Because it's a picture of, of just uh, our soul and, and our flesh. It is, it's a constant war going on. But um, the Bible talks about don't, don't take it lightly, though. Don't, don't take it lightly. That we need to fight. Fight and work hard. And uh, back to verse 3 in Second Timothy chapter 2. It says, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when you, when you start to get serious about God... When you think, oh man, I'm not growing in, in God's word. I'm not, I'm not maturing as a Christian. That you come on the radar screen of the devil. The, de- the devil just boop boop. Comes on the radar screen. He's like, oh yeah, you think you're going to grow? Yeah? Okay. Let's do this. Let's fight. Let's go. And, you know, a lot of times it happens to me. It's like, I'm going to get serious about God. And all of a sudden something will happen where I'm tempted with something. I'm just like, man, I messed up. Or, you know, I, I, I think I'm doing good or something will happen and I'll mess up. I'm like, man, I messed up again. But keep working hard. Keep going. God's gracious. God's merciful. He's there to help you he, with, the, with the spirit. 
You know, he's there to he's there to give you the strength to go. I heard Ron Ward say one time, um, he said, if the devil isn't bothering you, then something's wrong. <laughs> you know, if you're not a threat, then something's wrong. Then you're not really doing anything for God. Seems like I like that, that guy's. I mean, that that girl, she's fine. I don't got to worry about that girl. She she won't do anything for God. But no, if you're if you're um, devil's bothering you, consider that a blessing. That's a blessing. <clears throat> you need to have self-control. You need to have. Um, we need to control ourselves. You know, the battlefield is in the mind. And that uh, there's a verse in Proverbs says, "He who is slow to, to wrath is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city." It's easier to conquer a city and control people than it is to control yourself. I thought that was that was pretty pretty good thought. And when I read that verse, I said, "Man, it's harder to control myself than than anything else." Just like um, Napoleon Bonaparte and Alexander the Great, you know, they were conquering nations, but they had a hard time controlling themselves. And that, that's a true fact. The Bible is, is so true in what it says. <clears throat> and uh, I just, I, I love studying um, through First Samuel. We're going through First Samuel here you know, on Sunday mornings. And um, uh, that, that book is pretty much the reason why I started reading my Bible. I know I probably said this before, but, but uh, I started reading my Bible when I was about 19. And, you know, being as a young teenager, I was drawn to, like, violence and, and you know, the wars and, and the giants and the kings and the heroes. And I thought, this is the Bible? Like, wow, this is pretty cool. So I just started reading. I started reading more, and, and, and I started growing. I started maturing. And um, I've just been learning a lot lately, too. You know, we've been going through David and Saul, just the contrast between the two. And uh, you know, like 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 we've learned before, you know, Saul, he was what the people wanted. He was head and shoulders above everybody. You know, he was good looking, but uh, you know, he was but he was a terrible king. He was terrible. He 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 was cowardly, um, and sometimes he was prideful. When he would win, he said, "Yeah, I, I won the battle." You know, he didn't give any credit to God. He made a statue for himself. And that, uh, you know, he was disobedient to God's word. He, he, he didn't show complete obedience. He was partially obedient. And when Samuel came to confront him, why didn't you kill the king? Why did you, you leave all the remains? He said, no, I did. I did. Making excuses. He couldn't control himself. He had no self-control. He was a man of the flesh. <clears throat> and, um, but, but then we look at David. What a contrast. You know, I feel like David's a picture of Jesus, like we were talking about this morning with Rex. You know, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a humble shepherd boy who was doing what he was supposed to be doing. You know, he was tending his father's sheep. He was obedient to his father. And that, that's a true king. Being what you, doing what you're supposed to be doing in obedience. He was a man of faith, and he was able to defeat the giant. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't a coward like Saul. <clears throat> But, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I can relate to Saul because I, I know sometimes I can act like Saul. Even though I, I so much want to be like David, I can really identify myself with Saul because I can, I can be scared sometimes and I cannot trust God completely to win victories for me. And sometimes when I do, I try to take credit for it. But, um, but you know, God, 
God hates that and said, give me the glory. I'm here to help you. Uh, I, I heard this one example of uh, <clears throat> Muhammad Ali. He was, uh, he was flying on an airplane, and, um, you know, the captain came on the speaker. He said, you know, we are hitting moderate turbulence. We ask that everyone will please strap in their seatbelts. And then, uh, you know, so the flight attendant came by, and she noticed that Muhammad Ali didn't have a seatbelt on. And uh, she's like, sir, could you please put your seatbelt on? He's like, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Superman don't need that. And then the flight attendant said to him very quickly, back to well, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> you know, he thought he was invincible, right? I'm the greatest. But guess what? You didn't know that you're inside the plane. You know, he didn't know, like, what was carrying him the whole time was the plane. You know, you think you're invincible. You think you, think you can do everything yourself. That's, what, that's how Saul acted. He thought, I can do it myself. You know, I don't need nobody. I'm fine. But the whole time, he didn't know who was carrying him the whole time. You know, God gave him that position. God anointed him. And that we need, we need to be more like, like David. We need to be worshipful and, and uh, to recognize who, who God is. You know, David came humbly and he, he came boldly to the battle in faith. You know, he knew who was on his side. He gave God all the credit. But sometimes we could, we could be prideful. <clears throat> so in order for us to grow in maturity, we must continually be sanctified moment by moment, day by day. So the uh, last point for uh, time, uh, time's almost up is, uh, is prayer. Talk about prayer. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't pray as much as I should. Um, but it's... Uh, it's a good thing to practice. And how, how do you how do you grow in a relationship with somebody? You know, you talk to them, right? You talk to them. You know, if you didn't talk to that person, you know that that day, maybe a whole day goes by, and you're like, wow, it's, why isn't he talking to me? Where is he? <laughs> or, you know, you, you I don't know. We just, we live in an age of technology, and they send you a text or they send you um, Snapchat or something. <laughs> And you don't respond for a couple of days. You think something's wrong, right? Um, same thing with the Lord. You know, it's it's a it's a relationship. It's it's communication. <clears throat> and how do you communicate to God? You 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 communicate through prayer. And your relationship isn't going to grow if you're not talking to that person. Same thing applies with us. We need to continue to be talking to God, keeping short accounts with Him throughout the day. Um, let's look at an example in Second uh, Kings chapter twenty. Second Kings chapter twenty. <clears throat> uh, King Hezekiah here. He he was um, he was sick, and he was drawing near to death. And the Lord said to him, "Set your house in order, for you shall die, and not live." But then something happens where King Hezekiah he he. It says in verse 2 there, it says, He turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, Lord, I pray, how I walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I feel like a lot of times we just kind of address God lightly. We don't really, we don't really get on our knees or, or turn our face to a wall and just 
and reverence and, and fear of God. And we don't, we don't get intense. We don't really increase our intensity. We kind of just flippantly say a prayer here and there. But no, right here, Hezekiah, he, he went straight to God in prayer when, when he was confronted with something. And he turned his face to a wall and he wept bitterly. And something awesome happened. That the Lord, the Lord heard him. The Lord heard his, his prayer. The Lord heard, heard his cry. And in verse uh, 5, in the end of that, that verse says, I have heard your prayer, says, says the Lord. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And something, something great happened that day. All because through prayer. And I, I, I think that the outcome wouldn't have been different if, if Hezekiah didn't go to, to the Lord in prayer. If his intensity didn't increase. If he wasn't um, prostrating himself before the Lord. And I feel like a lot of times we, um, Christians, kind of just flippantly prayer. And I'm preaching my, to myself here as well when I say Christians. Um, I feel like we could all have room for maturity. But when we come to God in prayer, we need to be expectant. We need to expect that God's going to do something. We need to expect that God's going to show himself and, and do something great. You know, whether that be answering our prayer or maybe sometimes he won't. But the, um, the lesson is that we need to be more respectful, more reverent in our prayers like Hezekiah was. And let our intensity increase. You know, uh, in Psalm 34 it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. That God, God loves a humble heart. He loves it when, when you're on your knees and you're, you're praying. He's like, wow, I honor that so much. That God hears those prayers. Uh, the last point I want to make is Second um, Samuel chapter seven. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter seven. Another uh, aspect of prayer. You know, these are just some, some examples of uh, of prayer, but you know Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, right? That he prayed, not my will, but, but, but yours, O Lord, be done. They humbled himself before his father. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you know, the King David, he's at home. And uh, he's dwelling in his house. And, you know, he's, uh, he's there from rest from all his enemies. And uh, he has this idea to, to build God a house. He's like, you know, I dwell in this house of cedar. And God's dwelling in a, in a tent. He thinks something's wrong with that. Something's messed up. But then, um, you know, David has this idea. But then God turns around and, and he, he honors his, his wish. And instead of saying, you know, David says, I want to build you a house. God turns around and says, I'm going to build you a house. He turns around and blesses him instead. Now, David has this idea, I want to bless God. But God turns around and says, no, I want to bless you. Sometimes we have that, that idea as well. Like, you think you, you have this great idea. Or um, I think I have this great idea. But God has a way better idea. It's a million times more. And that, um, you know, God is so committed to, to, to blessing you more than we are. And, you know, David is just completely blown away by this. And in verse 18, just watch. I just want to uh, kind of look at his prayer and kind of kind of model that. <clears throat> verse 18, he says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far you know, kind of David just, just realizes, you know, who he is. He says, who am I? 
what is my house? He acknowledges his place before the Lord. And when we see God for who he really is, we realize our insignificance and we realize his, his greatness. And that all throughout his prayer, throughout that chapter, everything points back to, to, to the Lord. He says, he says, you, yours, his. Everything points back to God. And in verse 21 it says, For your word's sake, according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And then, you know, David just keeps on pouring out, like, you you do this, Lord. You you are awesome. You are great. And, um, and, And in verse 25 it says, at the end there it says, And do as you have said, so let your name be magnified forever. The Lord of hosts is the, the God of Israel. And I feel like we should, it, it's pretty much like a, a prayer of worship, a prayer of worship and, and praise. <clears throat> and when we realize who God is and what he's done for us, we need to come to him with worshipful hearts and praise. Like, like we come here you know, every Sunday morning, we give God worship, we give God praise because we realize who he is and what he's done for us, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And that, you know, in this chapter, God, God blesses him and, and God reveals to him. And then David just worships. He just worships. And he, and he gives thanksgiving to God. And I feel like in order of us to grow as Christians, we need to be, um, our prayers need to, need to be worshipful. Not so much like, God, can you do this? And just addressing God with certain things. No, let's come to God in prayer and, and let's acknowledge him. Say, God, you are awesome. You are God over all creation. We're nothing. God, you get all the praise. And God's like, wow, I honor that. You know, that's, that's something that, that I love to hear. So expect God to show himself and speak and be worshipful and full of praise. So just, just three things I, I just want to talk about. Knowing who God is and what he's done for you. Um, sanctification and prayer. So let's, let's grow in, in maturity in the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, just thank you for this night. Thank you for all the, the patient saints here, Lord, um, and coming out to hear hear your word, Lord. Pray it would sink deep into our hearts, and that we would grow in maturity, Lord. We wouldn't stay babies, Lord. We would go on to the deeper things of the Lord, and that we would really know you on a deeper level. And I pray you just uh, you bless our, our time of fellowship now, and, and our, um, give us a safe journey as we travel home. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.